today. Our scripture lesson comes from the book of Colossians, uh, chapter 3, uh, verses 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God for the Father through him. This is God's word for us today. Good morning. Good morning. So, um, the journey that brought me here this morning... Um, it started from a small country in the, in the west of Africa called Ghana. Um, in Ghana, singing and music is, is a way of life. Um, we sing when we go to the farm. We sing when we go into the river to fetch water. We sing when there is, you know, the naming of a child, marriages, funerals. Um, we sing and everything else in between. And so it would be normal that singing is an integral part of our worship on Sundays. So for me, I first encountered singing when um, I was a child through my mother. Um, She serves in the church choir, and on Saturday mornings, we wake up and our house is filled with singing. Whilst we do our chores, you know, scrub the bathroom, wash the dishes, etc. And so we're singing. Um, Some of the songs, um, they may not necessarily be Christian songs, but we sang. Um, So she bought me a hymnal when I turned eight. And because she was in the choir, I would join her as the choir processes. So in the Presbyterian church in Ghana, the choir would process into the church. And so I would walk behind her with my hymnal. So throughout um, my high school and college years, I teach myself how to play the piano, the bass, and the drums. And, and then I serve in different student ministries um, in, 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 in the college and high school. And then I serve in the church. But it was never clear to me why singing was so much, why we, we sang so much, why it, it underpinned what we did on Sundays. So after graduating college, I traveled to the UK, and then I moved on to the US here, and I served in a very predominant Ghanaian church in Northern Virginia. And whilst I served there as a worship leader, I was confronted with an unease that what we do on Sundays, we're missing something. So one day, the pastor under whom I served one morning called me to the church office after service and asked me why I did not do well enough during worship to bring down the presence of God. Why it was difficult for the congregation to experience the presence of God during worship because my performance was mediocre. So I started questioning myself about what I was doing wrong. I I questioned God as to why he chooses not to show himself when I lead. Needless to say how wrong I was, in presuming that anything I do or did not do 
brings down the presence of God. There is absolutely nothing that I do or do not do that brings down the presence of God. So friends, when we gather on Sunday mornings as a family like we've gathered this morning, our worship of the most high God, it involves, amongst other things, singing. We don't just sing because it is the next thing to do that the announcements are done and a scripture has been read and so the next thing is singing. That's not why we gather to sing. God commands us to sing. And so when we sing, we are responding to and obeying that command. That is what we're doing when we sing. It is not just another item on the order of service. So like Matthew just said, over the past two Sundays, we've been going through the series on why Sunday matters. And Matthew um, set the stage for us by preaching on a word-shaped liturgy, how the gospel informs the structure of our meetings. He mentioned that the content of our worship is no more important than the container in which it comes. And so the content of our meetings is equally important as much as you know, what it comes in, the structure that it comes in. And he reminded us that Sunday is all about glorifying God and edifying one another by remembering and responding to the gospel. And last week, Quinn preached on um, preaching the word. He reminded us that pastors have a holy responsibility to preach the word because we are all prone to wonder from the truth. And so this morning we would continue with the same theme, but this time it's about singing. Sunday matters because we need to sing the word. And I was reminded recently that worship does not start only when the singing starts. It should already be part and parcel of our daily lives and our walk with the Lord. And so before you walk in here, Sundays are not the only times you come to sing. Your worship starts before you get here. It should be already part of what you do on a daily basis. So hopefully for the next half hour or so, we would look at why singing is an important and an integral part of our worship of the Lord and why we should sing when we gather like we've done this morning. Please pray with me. Almighty God, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to gather as a family united by our love for our Savior, Jesus Christ, his saving grace, and the mercy that we have freely received. As we dig deeper into your word, I pray and ask that you would use this vessel of clay to speak to your people and reveal to us your truths in your word. I pray that as your word comes forth, that you would bring conviction where it is most needed, Lord. And that you would bring confirmation where it is most required. And you would bring comfort where it is most lacking. We thank you, Lord, for being present here with us now and always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
as we know, we've just sang song this morning. And so singing involves making melody with lyrics that proclaims the glory and might of Christ. It helps us to make him known to the whole world when we lift our voices and we sing. At the same time, singing confronts us with the truths of the gospel. It brings us needed comfort through the gospel and it challenges us to acknowledge and submit to the sovereignty of our Lord Jesus Christ. So before we jump into why we should sing on a Sunday, I, I wanted to give a backdrop or maybe a context, if you will, about Paul's letter to the Colossians, why he wrote that letter in the first place. So Paul is writing to the Colossians. It's a church that he himself did not plant, but they are very dear and near to his heart. And he was writing to specifically remind them of who Christ is, his greatness that is unsurpassable, and the work of redemption that he had accomplished on their behalf. And then he also wanted to remind them of how they, the Colossians, fit into God's grand plan, the cosmic plan that God had for the world. His letter to the Colossians shows how majestic and how powerful Jesus Christ is. And in doing so, he magnifies the word of Christ and underscores how important it is in their lives. So when Paul wrote that letter, he's not saying anything new. What he's just saying that, he's he's re-emphasizing the whole idea of the book of Colossians, which is that everything is about Jesus Christ. That is it. He's re-emphasizing something that they already know. He's not saying anything new. It is about Jesus and his redemptive work that he did. Colossians 1, 19 to 20 actually underscores this very well. It says, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What Paul is saying is that Christ and his word takes precedence over everything. And he completed the perfect work of redemption on the cross so that he would reconcile all things, including them, the Colossians, and us to himself. That, my friends, is a powerful reminder of the sovereignty of Christ. He owns everything. He is all things. Paul constantly focuses on the idea that it is all about Jesus. And whenever he addresses a new topic to the Colossians, he does so in the light of the person of Christ and the work that he did. And singing is no exception. Singing is no different. It's exactly the same thing. So to help us focus on that, We're going to focus on this one question. That would be like the anchoring question to help us go through the text. So the question is this. Why does the Lord repeatedly tell us to sing? Why does he command us to sing? And in helping us to answer that question, we would also delve into the text and we would also hold on to a main idea. One idea that wraps 
all that together. If you walk out of this place and you don't remember anything, there's this one thing that I want you to take with you, which is this. Singing enables the word of Christ to dwell in us that we might worship God in every area of our life. Let me say that again. Singing enables the word of Christ to dwell in us that we might worship God in every area of our life. And so in order for us to continue to dig deeper into that main idea, we'd consider two main topics, two main points under that big idea. The first one is singing helps us to remember the gospel. And then number two, worship is bigger than singing. Singing is just a subset of worship. So the two main points behind that big idea, singing helps us to remember the gospel. Worship is being at singing. All right, so let's dive into the first point. Singing helps us to remember the gospel. And if you, if you, if you go back and turn with me to verse 16 of Colossians 3, it says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns with spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord. So what is Paul telling the Colossians to do? Paul is calling their attention to two main things there in the very first part of that text. The word of Christ dwell in you richly. In the very first part of that sentence, he said, the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And we would spend some time here. Because typically, when you talk about singing, we just talk about making melody. But there is something that has to be done first. We need to lay the foundation first before we do lyricing, what I call lyricing. So let's jump into the what is Paul saying? What does Paul mean when he says the word of Christ? Since as we know, Jesus said a lot of things. What does Paul mean when he says the word of Christ? This is what I believe is the word of Christ. The word of Christ is the truth of who Jesus is. What he has done for us and the claim he makes on every area of our life. Let let me repeat that. The word of Christ is the truth of who Jesus is what he's done for us and the claim he makes on every area of our life. It is the gospel or the good news of Christ which has come to us and made known to the world. It is a word spoken and recorded in the Bible for us. And it it is a declaration of what is true. What God himself has said as a true word, which is communicated to us in the message. It is a word that is understandable and that which is focused on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It is the truth of the gospel which is focused on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This is what it is not. It is not a mere experience. It is not an abstract idea. It is not something we cannot grasp or understand. It is not 
how we feel about things or an academic interpretation of some other people's perceived historical facts. That is not it. It is the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the word of Christ. That is what Paul was referencing. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That is what the word of Christ is. And so, if we now know what the word of Christ is, then how should the word dwell in you richly? Remember Paul said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So we know what the word of Christ is. How does the word of Christ dwell in us richly? This is what Matthew Henry wrote in his commentary. It, which is the word of Christ, must dwell in us. That is, be always ready and at hand to us in everything and have its due influence and use. We must be familiarly acquainted with it and know it for our good. So the argument is our familiarity with the, with the word of Christ is not enough. It's not just enough to just know about the word. It should intimately be part of us. It should permeate every part of our life and it should, it should inform every word and action that we take. So how does that look like when you say the word of Christ should dwell in us richly? How does that look like? So let's first take a look at that. What does that look like when the word dwells in you richly? We'll consider three main points under that. The first is this. Letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly starts with turning away from sin and toward faith in Christ. So letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly starts with turning away from sin and toward faith in Christ. What this means is that it underscores the fact not only do we have his word in us, but he himself now dwells in our heart. The indwelling of the word in our hearts makes room for Christ such that he is able to lay a claim on the totality of our lives. What that means is that he comes to stay. He makes a board in our hearts. It's not a temporary visit. He doesn't come to stay and then maybe he goes away and then when you're in trouble, he comes and checks whether you're able to sort that trouble out. No, he comes and stays permanently. He makes a home in your heart. That is one way to let the word of Christ dwell in you. The second way is that letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly means allowing the truth and implications of the gospel to govern every aspect of your life, not some. Allowing the truth and implications of the gospel to govern every aspect of your life. So what does that mean? The word richly, that word there, it denotes a deep desire, a hunger to be filled with the word of Christ, which of course is the gospel. It also implies that many people have the word in their hearts, but the word does not have any power or impact over them. They are familiar, they are aware 
but the word does not have any impact in them. So we hear the word, we can even quote it, and yet it has no bearing on what we do or our lives. I remember earlier in our marriage, um, Mavis and I, we, <laughs> we went through some tough times. Um, we, we, we have these conversations and sometimes we talk about it and we look back and we acknowledge that had it been not the Lord in our lives, our marriage wouldn't have survived. The pressures of having a new child, uh, financial pressures, trying to make ends meet, just made it impossible for us to have a life that was pleasing to the Lord. And so I would always have pain. And how I did that was I responded in, in very bad ways to her. We would be going to church, and especially it happens every time we go to church. Every time we're driving, the simplest conversations would devolve into heated arguments. I mean, really bad. To the point where we would drive, I'd get to church, and it's, I see something just switches. It's like I, I get into autopilot. I go straight on stage. I read the word. I provide an exhortation. I lead worship as if nothing happened. And yet, a few minutes ago, I said the most horrible things to her. And so even though I had the word in my heart, it had no impact on me. And I could go on stage, lead, sing, and yet nothing Even though Colossians 3.19 specifically said, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. I say the most horrible things to her. And I'm able to go on stage. And as if nothing has happened. That is not the way the word of Christ dwells in us. If the word of Christ dwells in us, we would respond with love. I would respond with love to her and treat her kindly. You may be a young person, you may be a teenager here, and um, you're going through things. There's so much pressure on you to, to you know, conform to things that are happening around you. It could be that you're a young adult, and there's pressure for you to engage in premarital sex before you marry, or you want, you, you, there is pressure for you to you know, watch pornography, or, you know, Try substances that you're not supposed to. There is pressure. There's peer pressure all around you. And some way, somehow, you find yourself succumbing to that temptation. You've been in the church. You've been preached to. You've gone through Cain's kids. You've gone through Frontline. And so you have the word. You're familiar with the word. And yet, once you succumb to the temptation, what you've done is that you have not allowed that word to impact your life the way it should. Romans 12 verse 1 says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And yet, you just succumbed to that temptation. So what you've done is that you did not allow the word of God to arrest you in that moment, to remind you of the price that Jesus Christ paid for you so that you might obtain forgiveness and redemption. When we do that, we do not allow the word to impact us. So the truth and the implication of the gospel does not impact us in any way. And so if we are to let the word of 
Christ dwell in us richly, it should be at the greatest measure in its most efficient manner and in so doing, it should make room for it to fill and govern our very soul completely. It has to. Here is how Matthew summed it up for me recently. He, he, he said this, and I love it. I really love it. So I'm, I'm quoting you, Matthew. He said this, nominal awareness of the gospel is radically different than being saturated with the gospel and being governed by the gospel. Just merely having an idea or knowing of the word is a far cry from having the word dwell in you and allowing that word to impact your life in everything you say and in everything you do. So in, in for, to end this, this particular point, let us not only be aware of the gospel, but let us be fully saturated with it so that it would completely govern our life. So number three, how do we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly? Letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly brings prosperity to the soul. What does that mean? When the word of Christ dwells in us richly, it causes us to respond to who Jesus is and what he's done to govern and lay claim to everything we think, feel, or do. Prosperity of the soul does not come from self-discovery, nor does it come from the things we do or not do. It is solely based on a life of total submission to the priorities, the will, and the purposes of Jesus Christ. That is what prosperity of the soul is about. And so when we do these three things, where we let the word of Christ dwell in us by turning away from sin and towards faith in Christ, by allowing the truth and implications of the gospel to govern every aspect of our life and allowing it to bring prosperity to our soul, that is what it looks like when the word of Christ dwells in us richly. So, that is, what, that is what it looks like. How then do we get to that? How do we truly do what it takes to allow the word of Christ to dwell in us? There are two ways. Look at verse 16, the very end of verse 16, and it says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to the God, to the Lord. So the two ways we are able to allow the word to dwell in us richly is one, by teaching and admonishing each other in all wisdom. What this means is that we have to adhere to the pattern of life that is in keeping with the life of Christ. We have to follow in his footsteps. It could be as an individual or as, as, as corporately as we've gathered here. We do it because Christ has commanded us so. One thing you, you, you would think about is you may not see yourself as a teacher. But God has called us to help each other, to help one another to understand what to believe 
and how to live a life that is governed by Christ. So we teach each other, we help each other to understand what needs to be believed and how to live a life that is governed by Christ. And we do this in wisdom, which means that we follow the steps of Christ in teaching and admonishing each other, which is always consistent with the way Christ did it. So that's number one, teaching and admonishing each other in all wisdom. Number two is singing. Again, if you look at the last part, it says singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So singing, what is that? There are four ways that we do that, or there are four ways that we identify what singing is. Number one, singing is Christ-centered. It's all about Christ. When we sing, our focus is Christ. So it involves making melody through music and voicing those melodies, right? But then it also requires an active, deliberate participation. You have to want to do that. And so when I stand on stage or any of this um, worship leaders stand on stage and we lead us in singing, you have to choose to want to participate in that. It should help us to express our hearts to the Lord. Singing should enable us to anchor our feelings and our emotions in Christ. It should give us the freedom to confess our sins before him and bring our supplications to him. So again, like I said, on any given Sunday, my hope, my prayer, and I know probably that's Matthew's and Bruce's prayer, is that when we lead the congregation in singing, um, you don't see us as cheerleaders, spiritual cheerleaders who are going to do things on your behalf. Or you don't expect us to bring down the presence of God because we cannot do that. We are unable to do that. Rather, what, what we do is that we are humble servants. We are humble signposts that is pointing you to Christ. And so what we would do is to enable you to focus and see Christ. Earlier, I mentioned that I served under a pastor who um, asked me or questioned why I did not bring down the presence of God. One of the things that I have the privilege of um, doing when I've joined Kingsway is that I have been unburdened. I have been given a freedom to not have to bring down the presence of God anymore. I have been rewired, like Matthew said, and my thought process, the paradigm has shifted for me in knowing that I do not have to do anything to bring the presence of God down. When we sing on Sundays, when we worship on Sundays, our success is not measured. It's not measured by singing through, you know, perfect voices. Neither is it measured. Our success is not measured by skillfully playing. Nor is it measured by the awesomeness of the vocalist. Our success 
is not measured by that. What we do is we seize the opportunity to let the word of Christ dwell in us by reminding one another through our voices who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And so, hear me, I urge you when we sing together to let Christ be the center of that singing and that we should not tire from doing that, from raising our voices to help each one, each, each one of us to focus on Christ. Second, singing is instructional by nature. In other words, we learn, we teach each other. We learn from singing and singing teaches us through the lyrics of the songs that we sing. So a lot of the songs that we sang this morning, when you hear the lyrics and you've sung through the lyrics, there are truths of the gospel that are brought forth as you sing those lyrics. It enables us to teach and admonish one another. And what this means is that as much as we would want to pick songs to fill the order of service on a Sunday, we are careful to pick songs that would help us do exactly that, which is to teach and admonish each other. And that is what Paul is saying in the scripture, that we, we teach each other and we admonish, and, um, admonish each other. And the way we do that through song is through the lyrics that we sing, the songs that we sing. The third part that we are singing, the third um, point under that is that singing is corporate. Again, there is, there is a connection between the instructional part of singing and the corporate part of singing. The mere corporate nature of singing implies an intrinsic communal participation. In other words, we have to do it together as a corporate um, body, as a people, a community of believers. Ephesians 5, 9 states, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. When we live a life in a strong biblical community of believers, what we are doing is that we are able to confront each other with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are able to confront each other with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we do that in love. Our corporate singing conveys thankfulness to the Lord. So when we sing, for instance, if you sing a song like this, Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hands have provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. When we sing that, not only are we acknowledging and thanking God for his mercies that we see every moment of our lives, every morning, we are also reminding each other of God's immeasurable goodness and kindness to us. That he provides everything that we need through his abundant grace. We are singing to each other and reminding each other of God's unwavering faithfulness to us. Or when we sing a song like, I was blinded by my sin, 
had no ears to hear your voice, did not know your love within, had no taste for heaven's joy. Then your spirit gave me life, open up your word to me through the gospel of your son gave me endless hope and peace we are acknowledging our sin and disobedience to god in light of his mercy and grace that abounds in our life and we are telling each other reminding each other by singing these words to each other about the great redemptive work that God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. That is what we do when we sing songs like that. We encourage one another to hold on to the hope and peace made known to us through the gospel, the son who is Jesus Christ. When we sing together as a community of believers, we constantly remind ourselves through church membership and through community group participation about who Jesus is and what he has done for us and how that should make a remarkable difference in the way we live our lives. So sometimes you would say this. I am okay. I do not need any teaching or admonition. I, I can do well by myself. I don't believe in this whole community thing. You know, we have life figured out. I, I'm okay. I, don't, I know what is true. I am a good person. I know what is right. And when I need help, I'll call out. Well, the news is that that is deceitful. That is contrary to what God wants for us. And it's folly if we live a life. Each one of us makes a conscious effort and an active choice to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. It is a choice we make actively. The choice, however, must include choosing to move towards fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and opening up yourself to their instruction, their exhortation, and their admonition. And finally, the fourth point under singing is singing is diverse. If you look at the same um, verse 16, it says singing hymns, and it says singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So, when Paul mentioned this, he wasn't restricting them to specific types of songs or you only can sing this type of song and not that. That wasn't what Paul was doing. What he was doing was that in that time, there were contemporary songs. So if you look at hymns, if you look at Psalms, those songs were underpinned by the theological richness of the gospel of Christ in that time. And so what he was saying is that when you choose to sing songs, sing songs that span that, that has that spectrum, but then rooted in the gospel of Christ. When he talks about spiritual songs, he's mentioning that those songs are influenced by the Holy Spirit. 
And so in the same manner, when we want to sing songs, when we are singing songs that, that are psalms, that are hymns or spiritual songs, by no means should we restrict ourselves. But then we want to select songs that are theologically rich, Christ-centered, and Holy Spirit-influenced. That is what he's saying here. That is what Paul is indicating. He is not restricting them in terms of the choices that they should make. We are to be filled and saturated with the word of Christ in our hearts, such that it should burst forth from our mouths, and our vocal cords should give utterance through hymns that instruct, that offer praise, and admonish. That is what singing is about. Singing should be Christ-centered. Singing should be instructional. We should be able to teach each other and admonish each other. It is corporate. We do it together. And it's diverse. Different areas, different parts that come together to give glory to God when we sing. Now, the second part of the main point that we talked about is, first part is what? Singing helps to remember the gospel. The second point under that is that worship is bigger than singing, which is the, the second point under our main idea of singing enables the, the word of Christ to dwell in us that we might worship God in every area of our life. The first is that singing helps us to remember the gospel. The second is that worship is bigger than singing. So whereas verse 16 of the text we just read directs our attention to the specifics and mechanics of how the word of Christ impacts our life, verse 17 provides a bigger picture. It's almost like it zooms out to give us a big picture of what God's plan is, the cosmic plan, the intentions, what God has planned for us. Look at verse 17. It says, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our life should be a response to God's cosmic plan of redemption. It should be an expression of worship, of course, of which singing is, is a part of. And being the singing or being the worship is bigger than singing, we want to take a look at two points under this. The first one is our whole life should be an expression of worship. Every part of our life should be an expression of worship. What is that? What does that mean? A life of worship is giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus Christ, his Son, all the things that he's done for us in every moment of our lives. It means continuously trying to answer this question. How can I live a life of, God, of gratitude to the Lord right now? How can I live out gratitude to the Lord right now in this moment? If you're able to answer that question every moment of your life, your life would be an expression of worship. How do I live gratitude to the Lord right now? 
The word of Christ should inform and direct our words and our deeds and our actions. We should do everything in his name. It means that every aspect of our lives has the potential to honor and bring glory to God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The second point under this is that we must always give thanks to God the Father. We must show gratitude to the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. What that means is that our gratitude brings glory to God the Father, but it also makes Jesus the focal and central point of our gratitude. So God received the glory through Jesus Christ the Son. And so whilst God is given the glory, Jesus becomes the focal point, the centrality of our gratitude. And that should be part of our daily life. That is a life of worship. That should be how we live our lives. We constantly answer the question, how can I live our gratitude to the Lord right now? So, considering everything we've heard, why should we sing when we gather on Sundays? When we gather like this, why should we sing? One, we should sing the word because singing helps us to remember the gospel so that it would dwell in us richly, thereby governing every area of our life. We should sing because it helps us to remember the gospel so that that gospel will dwell in us richly in order for it to govern every area of our lives. That's number one. Number two, we should sing the word because worship is definitely bigger than singing. It is a, it's a lifestyle. Worship should be a lifestyle of which singing should be a part of. It should, it should be a lifelong grateful act to the Lord. That is why when we gather on Sundays, we want to sing. We sing to help us remember the gospel. And we sing to help us live a life of worship, of gratitude to the Lord. Bob Coughlin said this in his book, Worship Matters. He puts it this way. On Sundays, God wants us to do more than singing songs together and have wonderful worship experiences. He wants to knit the fabric of our lives together. A worshiping community is made up of individuals whose lives are centered around the Savior they worship together each week. A worshiping community expects to encounter God's presence, not only on Sunday mornings, but every day. A worshiping community recognizes that passionate times of singing praises, passionate times of singing God's praises flow from and lead to passionate lives lived 
for the glory of Jesus Christ. Friends, our singing should flow from and lead to passionate lives that is lived for the glory of Jesus Christ. When we sing together on Sunday mornings, this is what we're doing. We're preparing and we're rehearsing for when we get to heaven. And then we would join the myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands of others in singing to Christ, our King, in Revelations 5.9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God for, from every tribe and language and people and nation. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Let us remember to do that every Sunday when we gather and every single day for the rest of our lives. Please pray with me. Almighty God, we thank you for the word of your son, Jesus Christ, which has been made available to us. Lord, please help us to be a people who would let the word dwell in us richly, that we will be completely saturated by it that it would govern every area of our life. Father, we thank you for the gift of living a life that is influenced by a community of believers, Lord. Help us to sing your word when we meet on Sundays, to worship you and let our lives be a lifelong grateful act of worship to you, Lord. Father, we thank you and we honor you for who you are and for your redemptive work on our behalf. Receive all glory, receive all honor, dominion, and power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.